Guys, welcome back to Arsenio's ESL podcast. Today is another international interviewee, guys. Kazakhstan. I've been wanting to talk about Kazakhstan for so long, and now I got someone sitting right across from in front of me on video, and we're going to get down to the needy greedy. So, Nathan, man, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you. I've, I've been looking forward to this all week. <laughs> awesome. So, man, all right, the floor is yours. Um, Kazakhstan, you know, Kazakhstan, let's just talk about it in bulk. How did it, you know, where are you from, you know, and what are you doing now? And then we could just focus on the country primarily. So what's going on? Sure, I'll give you, like, I guess the elevator speech about my biography. I'm originally from the USA. Like yourself, I'm from a city called Newburyport, Massachusetts. Wow. Newburyport is about 30 minutes north of Boston. So if you were to stand on the New Hampshire border and you'd be standing in the Massachusetts border, that's right where Newburyport's located. It's right on the Atlantic Ocean. Okay. So it's a wonderful town. It's a great place to grow up. You know, I absolutely, I absolutely love it. Um, I guess, you know, early on, I was always interested in travel and whatnot. I've been in education almost my whole life. Right when I graduated from college, I immediately worked for the state of Massachusetts in a special program, which was helping, I guess, underserved in a population that had actually been involved in the court system to kind of transition back to life. And the communities that I worked in had actually a very high Hispanic population, be it from Puerto Rico, Dominican Republic. So instantly I was exposed to the ESL aspect and I absolutely fell in love with it. So I worked there for several years and then ended up traveling quite a bit in my life. And then around 2010, yeah, eight years ago, an educational (laughs) opportunity opened up in Kazakhstan at a private language center. So I uh, took the leap and came to Kazakhstan. I should probably interject here that there's another element. My wife, who is from Kazakhstan, she actually lived in the United States. She lived in Philadelphia. Um, We met during one of her trips to Boston. So that was another kind of catalyst that brought me to Kazakhstan. Okay. Okay. Yeah. so Yeah. So I've been here a while. I worked for two years at that private language center. And then an interesting opportunity presented itself. The government of Kazakhstan started these presidential schools. Um, The president, Nur Sultan Nazarbayev, started some presidential schools as models for educational reform in the country. And these these are amazing places because basically Kazakhstan is switched to a trilingual model, which means that, you know, most Kazakhs speak Russian. They speak Kazakh. But now all students are learning English in the government schools. And the Nazarbayev Intellectual Schools, which was my employer for six years, they don't just study English at schools. In the 11th and 12th grade, the students take all their content subjects in English, which is amazing. So you got kids that are 15, 16, 17 years old. They're learning physics, chemistry, biology, economics, all in the English language, ICT all in the English language. So that model that is used at the presidential schools is now being spread to the whole country. Right. So I received an invite. Yeah. I received an invitation to work for them back in 2012. And I started for about three months as an English teacher and then events kind of took over and I became deputy principal of one of the schools. 
and work there as an administrator for six years. And I loved it. I love, um, there's a lot of good stuff going on here, education wise. There's a lot of progress. And literally, Arsenio, if, we were, if I were to bring you to this school, I could introduce you to a few, you know, 15 or 16 year old kids that can speak about thermodynamics in the English language. Oh, my and, goodness. Um, wow. Yeah. It's really cool. It's really cool. Um, and it's, it's a great bunch of learners. And now it's exciting because this model of NIS has really proven itself successful through eight years of trial and error and working really hard. And now that's being cascaded out to the regular school. So there's a lot of interesting things going on English-wise, CLIL-wise, um, and just basically progress in education. Wow. There's a lot of ways. Like, Okay, so are you in Almaty or Astana? Great question. It seems like all expats are always in Almaty or Astana. I'm in Oktobe, so I'm here to represent a more provincial city. There are um, basically about 20 major cities in Kazakhstan. You know, Almaty, which is the old capital, is the one that everybody knows, very cosmopolitan city. Astana is the new capital, uh, amazing city, just about 20 years old. Hmm. And then I'm in a provincial city. So if we looked at an American map, you know, a map of the USA, uh-huh. I am like in the city that would be Seattle. I'm in the Northwest okay. and I can drive about two hours. We will hit the Russian border. So I'm in the Northwest of the country, a city of about 400,000 called Oktobe, which literally translates to White Hill. Ak is white, Tobe is hill. So I'm in a city called White Hill in Northwest Kazakhstan. So it gets extremely cold out there in the uh, what is it, in the winter months, right? Yeah, um, I I would say you know it's funny because I've been here so long. Right. I think in Celsius now. Uh, right, me too. I, me I too. Yep, yeah. Fahrenheit. You know, even when I go home, I was I was I was flying home to the United States, and I'm like, okay, it's sixty degrees Fahrenheit. I'm like, what is that? I didn't know what to wear. Am I wearing a sweater? Can I wear a T-shirt? I completely think in Celsius. So one of the kind of markers that I could give people is we can see minus 40 degrees Celsius. And minus 40 is actually the link where minus 40 Celsius is minus 40 Fahrenheit. Now, that's extreme. We usually fall around in the winter about minus 15, minus 20. But the winters are, yeah, extremely cold. Man, okay, so I'm just going to stay on that for a little bit. How do you protect yourself? you got to layer up like crazy. Yeah, it's interesting. I noticed it when I first came here to visit my wife before I started working. Mm-hmm. I remember it was February. So I landed here two days before my mother's birthday, so it was February 2nd. Right. And it was about minus 30. And, yes, it was cold. You know, I had the layers. I had the hat. I had, I had the boots going on. But what I noticed, people just kind of get on with it. Um, the, the lovely thing is you'll see is that Kazakhs dress very well. Mm. They dress very well, especially the Kazakh women. So I just instantly noticed that it was a fashion show. Everyone had their fur coats on, <laughs> they had their fur hats on, and it doesn't really, it doesn't really affect things. So yeah, you got to layer up, you got to wear the proper clothing, but you don't have a life stop. You know, it right. just keeps going on and Kazakhs just kind of get on with it. Mm. The other thing you'll notice is that although... The outside is very cold. Mm. They keep the houses and the insides heated a lot. So I actually open my windows in the winter because I'm so hot oh, inside right. the house. Right, right, right. Oh, man. Okay, so <clears throat> a geographical lesson. Okay, so I re- – what is it? I had a friend from Bishkek, and she said that there mm-hmm. were a couple of revolutions that had happened. One most 
Oh, I guess it was in 2005 and something else had happened. Now, Kazakh, of course, it, of course, it's right there. It borders Russia. So when did Kazakh become a nation, per se? Because, of course, Mongolia, you got Mongolia East, Bishkek, Kyrgyzstan yeah. down south. To the west is... To the west is be like um, the Caspian Sea, and then you have Iran to the south, and you, we have Uzbekistan bordering it to the south, Turkmenistan. Right, right, right. But, but it's a yeah. Kazakhstan actually touches the Caspian in the west, and then east it will touch China. Wow. <sighs> yeah, it's huge. It's actually the ninth biggest country by landmass. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. That's what I realized with especially Mongolia too. So when did Ka- when Big did point. it become a nation? And of course, Russian influence. So I'm guessing Russia. I don't know if they had somewhat of Kazakh back in the day, and then they ended up breaking away. I'm not sure what the whole yeah. Yeah. That's an excellent question, and I could probably go on for hours, but I'll, uh, I would say basically Kazakhstan became independent in December of 1991. Okay. So when the Soviet Union broke up is when Kazakhstan received its independence. It was actually the last of the republics to formally declare their independence from the Soviet Union. Right. So December 16th is when we celebrate Kazakh Independence Day, um, December 16th of 1991. So that's when Kazakhstan essentially became free and the Kazakh nation was born. Uh, historically, in the past, and I don't want to get the dates too wrong, I think in the 18th century, the Kazakh Khanate did sign a mutual defense agreement with the Russian Empire, and that was more of defense from invaders from other countries. So Kazakhstan has always had type of alliances with Russia right. um, throughout history, but they were part of the Soviet Union, obviously, and then in 1991, the, the nation of Kazakhstan became independent. So that's it's only been 20, you know, 27 years that, that Kazakhstan has been an independent country. Wow. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, cultural blends. You know what I find very interesting? Mongolians. There. You know. There. Oh, no one speaks about Mongolia. Of course, everyone always says, I traveled to Korea, I traveled to Japan, of course, me being an English language teacher here in Thailand. However, no one ever says, oh, I'm going to Mongolia for vacation. So I don't know, Kazakh, what is their blend? Is it they have Chinese or Mongol? I hope I could say that. I'm not sure. Yeah, the Mongol Empire, they talked about that a long time ago. And then the blend of Russia. Yeah, what is that? I could probably put on my, my Kazakhstan like cheerleader hat right now, but anyone who comes here will instantly agree with this. Even if they're listening to me, they will say, is he serious? Kazakhstan is a very, very diverse nation. I mean, I think there are 130 nationalities in Kazakhstan. Wow. It is probably the most, and I've traveled quite a bit, it's probably the most racially tolerant place I've ever been. It's almost like in their blood. They, I think it's, to put it basically, hey, we're all here. We gotta live together. We gotta live together in peace. So you, you know, you kind of mentioned that there have been revolutions. I know there's been some ethnic issues in Kyrgyzstan. There's been some ethnic issues, maybe in some other republics. Mm-hmm. Kazakhstan has done a very good job of maintaining, and it's through this, I think, through the governmental level and also cultural level of tolerance among the nationalities. Right. So. It's always been kind of racially tolerant. So anyway, the breakdown is I think the, the nation is about 70 or so percent Kazakh. Mm-hmm. You'll have a large ethnic population of Russians. You'll have um, a population of Koreans, 
Ukrainians, Germans, Chechens, Tatars, Uzbeks. So you get basically a, a huge mix here. But although you can feel it and you can see the different nationalities, there isn't the same kind. There isn't any sense of like segregation or national discord. Kazakhstan's even unique in the fact that some of the republics, I think ethnic Russian people felt kind of like they had to leave or they felt uncomfortable because there was such a resurgence after the Soviet Union of, 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 of nationalism. Right. Um, Kazakhstan has maintained Russian as a, as a language. Mm-hmm. So the Kazakh is the national language, but we call Russian the language of inter-ethnic communication. So it's actually by law. Say if you're a Russian person mm-hmm. and you go into a bakery, you want a service with a company, you want to read the newspaper and see a commercial, by law, it also has to be in the Russian language, okay. you know, all communications. So, okay. yeah, so in, in at the presidential level, you know, I can say even working at my school, there's always the awareness of, yes, we need, we need to speak the Kazakh language. Kazakh is our, is our national language. But let's not forget that we have Russian people and people that speak Russian as a first language. So we have to make them welcome here, too. Right. So it's a very, very tolerant place. Wow. That is so interesting. I mean, um, what is it? The first time I actually met someone from Kyrgyzstan the first time. And no one has ever talked to me about these nations. Now, of course, I was aware of Mongolia, but Kazakhstan and Kyrgyzstan never, you know. So then I started deep diving and trying to see if I could get, join little communities to communicate with people. And you're absolutely right. It being culturally open. Like the people are so remarkably open-minded there versus – because, again, I live here in Thailand. Of course, there have been things that I have had to go through, but it's all created the success I have today. Um, But I am so interested in actually traveling out there. So how about the schools, the language? How – I mean if I go to Kazakhstan or anyone who's listening to this decides to say, okay, I'm going to visit – Almaty or whichever, October, then we have Astana, and there's a lot of different, of course, cities around. Um, what what are some things that they could possibly do? Uh, is English, again, English, do people primarily speak, you know, do they have a nice threshold on the English language? Um, yeah, what would you recommend? Yeah, um, I would say this. For example, if you landed in Almaty or you landed in Astana mm-hmm. tomorrow, you would probably – Feel that the English level is not like it is in Bangkok or it wouldn't be in, as in Singapore or Beijing. But it's one of those things where how – can, how can I put this? You would have to be in my shoes to see the progress over eight years. So if you were looking at 2018, you'd be like, uh, okay, they got a long way to go. But if you were to go back to 2010 when I first came and see how much the progress has been in eight years, you'd be like, oh, wow. So it's not – English is not common on the streets and, you know, the taxi drivers and things like that yet, but it's progressed to a huge extent within the last eight years, Mm. Um, especially among the high school population, especially among the university population. Most students will be able to converse in English. Mm. Some teenagers, now I have teenagers um, at the school and just basically teenagers in October that I know are 16 years old and they've already gotten an eight on their IELTS. So you will find that just like, oh, wow. So I predict that in the next 20 years, it will be at that level. It still has a long way to go. It, it, now it's kind of random. You, like sometimes I'll speak in Kazakh 
and the person will speak back to me in perfect English. So it, it, it's getting there. And there's a huge, um, you know, it, it's not just at the cultural level where kids are interested in YouTube or or watching American films or watching international films or watching Korean films. There's a huge Korean cultural influence here, like with K-pop and everything. Huge. Uh, that's the thing that kind of shocked me. Yeah. Was like everyone's like, what about this Western culture? And I'm like, if I open the lockers of the kids at school, I mostly K-pop. see K-pop stuff. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Um, too. Uh-huh. So I'm 42 years old and my kids taught me what BTS was. I didn't know what BTS was. And the kids yeah. are like, oh, this is this is the group, Mr. Nathan. You really are old. You don't know what this is. <laughs> uh, but So there's that cultural influence of the English language. But at the same time, the government has been great, again, at a presidential level of nice. saying – we need English. And, and the reason is, you know, President Nazarbayev has said, if you look at um, scientific research, 97% of the scientific journals on the Internet are published in English. Absolutely. How are we to progress as a nation if our specialists in science, engineering, medicine can't go to international conferences? Mm-hmm. So at the governmental level, the, 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 the political or the policy case has been made that we need the English language. Even the, um, the presidential university, there's a Nazarbayev university which is the, the presidential university in the capital, instruction is 100% in English. Mm. And I think 3 or 95% of the faculty are foreign. Right. So there's a huge push, and it's, it's happening. It's just, you know, it, it's, it takes a long time to completely, you know, immerse itself in the culture. But uh, like I said, 20 years from now, you'll probably be able to come here and speak to everybody. All right, so you mentioned that you speak a little Kazakh. You know, some people are shocked when they hear me speak a little Thai. Tell mm-hmm. me, how are you doing? I want you to say that in Kazakh. Uh, Kalaisis is the polite form. Kalaisin is the informal form. You can say Kalanis Kalai. Anything like that is how you're doing in Kazakh. That's not too bad. That's not too bad. Now, does Kazakh, does it have different sounds? Do you have to say, like, like here in Thailand, in order for you to get a point across, you have to have that tonality. You have to say, you know, it's kind of like a roller coaster. How, how about the Kazakh language? It doesn't have the tones like that. Kazakh is actually a Turkic language. Huh? So the whole, if you were to stand in Anatolia, Turkish, and then Turkey, and then you were to go to Azerbaijan, the language is very similar. Turkmenistan, it's same family, but little different. Uzbekistan, same family, but little different. Same way with Kazakh, same way with Kyrgyz. Um, I can understand Kyrgyz, but I will lose it some places. So all these languages are they're Turkic languages, so they're they're very similar. So there's not the tonal thing that you need. The the main thing with Kazakh, like Turkish, like Kyrgyz, is that it's all endings. Mm-hmm. So you have the word, and then you build the sentence from the ending. And it, and I guess you and I would call it backwards. So if I said in Kazakh, I'm going to school, Mektep ke baramen. Is really school to going. I am. <laughs> so you build everything from the back. So the English language is predicated off. You know, we're the only language that it goes from. I guess the opposite of how we would say it. Yeah. You know, it's kind yeah. of like Spanish yeah. too. I remember hearing that my teacher saying a long time ago. Well, English language is uh, backwards and this and that, and every other language goes this way. And yeah, so. Yeah, so, you know, the Turkic language, I mean, the Turkic family is huge. You can have Uyghurs, which are, you know, an ethnic people that live in China, uh, live everywhere in Asia, but they predominantly in China. Even like Bashkirt, 
which is an ethnic people that live in certain parts of Russia, those are all Turkic languages. So if you look at the water, the word for water, su, um, it's the same in Turkish. I think in Bashkurt, it's like su, and it's similar in Uyghur. So there's a huge Turkic language family. Now, there's big differences between the languages as you get further away from different places. But basically, um, you're speaking a, a Turkic language if you speak Kazakh. Okay, okay. All right, so I'm asking you just a couple more because we are approaching that mark. I know you got things going on. Um, the food. Talk to me about the food. Yeah, I, I moved to the right place because <laughs> uh, food here is a meat-based diet, and I love meat. Um, Kazakh food is amazing. There's a couple dishes. The national dish is called Bishbamark, which is base, base is five, and then Bamark. It's like basically translates five fingers. And traditionally – the, a big plate of meat is put in the center of the table and you eat with your hands. Mm. You still do that to a certain extent, but people, it's perfectly acceptable if you're more comfortable with a fork. But it's it's meat, potatoes, um, some like lasagna type pasta and onions. Mm. So that's the national dish. There's another dish called kordak, which my mother-in-law makes, which is just like fried meat, sometimes with potatoes, but it's just a big plate of meat. Yeah. Um, and I love it. So I moved to the right place because they're meat eaters here. Okay. Uh, so I love the food, essentially. And the other great thing about Kazakhstan is that I get to try Russian dishes. I get to try Dugan dishes, which is a ethnic people that live in China, live in Kazakhstan, which is very spicy. So uh, the food here is great. I love it. Okay. All right. So all right. And, uh, to yeah. Talk- and the one thing I was very natural. That's what I noticed is I can eat like endlessly and not gain weight here. I don't know if it's because of the preservatives, the lack of chemicals, or even when we get meat, we sometimes get it from the supermarket, but my mother-in-law will only go to certain places where she can check the meat. We have a 65 kilogram refrigerator. So a lot of times our meat comes directly from the village where when it shows up at our house, it's still bloody. And you know, my mother-in-law will help us salt it. And then we put the meat right in the refrigerator because a relative from the village will call and say, hey, we have a cow. Do you want to have a piece of it? Like, yeah, we'll take half. We'll take a quarter. So it's fresh food here. When I buy vegetables, one of the international teachers I used to work with said the vegetables still have the dirt on them. And it's, yeah. So the vegetable didn't spend any time between me, the dinner table, and some factory or whatever. Someone pulled it up out of the ground, put it in the back of their car, and brought it to the market that day. So it's fresh food, it's healthy food, and and I, I really really like. It. That is that that is <laughs> straight from that house, all bloodied up. Still comes here. I mean, goes to your place. You know, man. Of course, us being American born, the amount of factories, trans fat, all the things that we could find, all the preservatives that we find within the frozen food, man. It just all makes sense to why Americans are. You know, 200 million, you know, overweight, you know. And so when I being here in Thailand and going over a routine every morning, okay, I'm going to get my rice here, egg, okay, I got some meat here, vegetables, yogurt. I just follow such a system and I'm so much healthier here. So that's awesome to hear, man. I'm excited. to. I need to get down there, man. So I was thinking about doing like a Mongolia slash Kazakhstan thing too. So not exactly yeah, sure. Do it. Yeah, you'll see. You know, it's like – I don't really eat anything. The only thing I eat out of the package is maybe cottage cheese. Other than that, everything, nothing's packaged. It's just, it's from the ground. It's from, you know, the farm and it's, and it's incredibly healthy. So that, that helps. 
Man, that is the best, man. Oh, I've never... Boy, you guys are getting some good stuff today. Okay, last question for my man over here, Mr. Nate. Okay, so I see that you guys opened up a language center, which is awesome. You and your other half, man. I'm so, I love just seeing entrepreneurs, man. I love seeing people you know, become business owners and take those big risks. It's like the risk of me living yeah. here every day. I have a risk, you know? So what is it that you guys are trying to achieve? You guys opened up, again, IELTS. I'm not sure if it's primarily IELTS, uh, but it's a beautiful language center, by the way. And uh, huge hats off to you guys. But again, out there in October. So what is it that you guys got going on? Yeah, thank you for that question. You know, I loved my job at, you know, the Nazarbayev Intellectual Schools. But during that six years, you know, the school got accredited. Um, the local teachers reached a level of proficiency where, according to our strategic plan, we always reduced international teachers each year because the local teachers became more and more and more proficient. Right. So after six years, my actual administrative job was eliminated because they didn't need me anymore. The school was accredited. Uh, and, you know, everything was all set. So they just did a wonderful job. So I was able to move on. Mm. Basically, Arsenio, I will say it like this. Our school's focused on academic language. It's focused on, you know, test preparation, international test preparation. It's also focused on, you know, professional people. We have oil workers. We have other people in different industries that need English to be competitive in their particular sphere. Basically, if you go in, you look at the language center, on the wall is our mission. And I've learned through six years of you know, educational reform that you got to remain mission focused. I could say the main thing that we're trying to do is focus on education. What I mean by that, and I think you'll know about this in the ELT industry, I believe that lessons have to be engaging. They have to be interactive, but I'm not there to entertain. You know, if you if, if you want to play mafia, if you want to, you know, play video games, I'm not dressing up in a Spider-Man outfit. You know, I'm not there to play games. And, you know, and, and I've lived long enough in this community where I'm communicating that to the parents. I can say, listen, um, I'm happy to help your child, you know, get to their goal. I'm happy to you get to for you to get to your goal. Right. But I'm not here to play games. It was, it was a great um there's a great quote by Vladimir Putin, actually, where one reporter's asking him, are you a friend or a foe? And he's like, listen, I'm neither. I'm the president of the Russian Federation, and I will, you know, I will conduct myself like that. So I said, you know, I'm not here to be your kid's babysitter. I'm not here to be your buddy. I'm here to teach them. Yeah. I will mentor them. I will help them. They can call me at midnight with a college application task, and I'll be there for them. But our center is about education. It's about getting down to business. And if you're not serious – there's plenty of other language centers that you can go to for the camp, whatever atmosphere. So that's the main thing that we're trying to do. And I can say that people have been responsive. Um, you know, I get a lot of parents calling my wife and saying, hey, you've been fine. I don't want to, like, talk down about another establishment, but just saying, you know, my kid has to take the IELTS in the 11th grade. We have two years. And I'm like, you know, good. We can get down to business. So. That's what we're trying to do. I'd say in a nutshell, it's to remain mission focused, that lessons will be engaging, lessons will be interesting. But the bottom line is that education comes first, not Instagram, not games, not, you know, pizza parties or whatever. (laughs) 
It sounds like some things be going on out there in terms of that. I've never heard the Spider-Man, you know, the analogy or anything. So, yeah, it must be some – it's kind of like out here too, you know, and a lot of people would say – you know, they would tell me, hey, do you entertain? I'm like, no, I love – I'm a little bit loud as you know, and I love to laugh. I love to live, love, laugh, and teach at the same time. So some teachers here uh, that come here for who knows whatever reasons they come here for – they're very, very stern. They're very straight-faced. They take away the confidence of the individual, and that's the ultimate recipe for failure, you know, in terms of teaching English language learners. So Exactly, and, and you described it perfectly. I think there's like a, there's, there's a spectrum, mm-hmm. and you don't want to be stern. You don't want to be hard. You don't want to, you know, be, be you know, any, any ELT research will show you there's an effective filter where kids will get anxious, they, you know learning's going to go down. Then there's the other end of the spectrum where I've kind of seen that it's maybe even here where they used to use the grammar translation method. So it switched from just using grammar translation and just having um, a very rules-based, grammar-based focused. And then the pendulum swung, but I think it swung a bit too far sometimes where it went into just games and just nothing to do with actual learning, not presenting authentic language in context. And things like that. So I think there's a median area that all of us have to try to reach. You know, I'm loud in the class. I always bring my jokes. Sometimes they laugh. Sometimes they don't. <laughs> but I, 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 want, I, I want to reach that happy median where you're engaging, you're fun, but you're also effective. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what I strive for. There you go. Okay. Awesome. Nathan, man, thank you so much. It's been a plum pleasing pleasure. I love saying those three Ps. I know it's a little bit crazy. But, uh, yeah, it's been a pleasure. Guys, for everyone listening out there, again, my goal is to get every accent from every country in the world, people providing so much insight and so many things to enable you guys and to make you realize that there is so this world is vast. So, again, I have a lot of people, probably uh, immigrants that have immigrated to America that listen to my podcast. And this is literally tapping into that imaginative side, you know, saying, hey, maybe I should, you know, think about going here or meet people from this country or, you know, just when the opportunity arises, maybe I have enough money to go to the Costa Rica's or the Colombia's if I live in Florida and stuff. So, Nathan, man, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you very much. And just in ending, I'd like to say I wish you the best of luck. I, as a person, am usually in a better mood and have a more positive day. If I've watched your, you know, one of your videos or if I've listened to you, you have an infectious personality. And I think your enthusiasm and your professionalism is infectious. So I would encourage anybody in the teaching or anybody just looking to better themselves to check you out. And I'd welcome you to Kazakhstan because I can say that with your personality and with your enthusiasm, uh, the people here would absolutely love you. So. Uh, You're always welcome, and I thank you for doing what you do. Thank you so much. That makes me – but that gives me the biggest smile, just knowing that so many people consume content. And again, hearing it at the beginning of the day, I always try giving snippets and stuff. So, man, Nathan, much pleasure. Kazakhstan, perhaps 60% chance next year. I will keep you informed as usual. Absolutely. (laughs) All right, guys. And with that being said, I hope you guys enjoyed this again. Guys, if you go on my Instagram, I will definitely tag Nathan. And uh, if you guys are out there in Kazakhstan listening or Mongolia, Mauritius, Macedonia, uh, uh, Togo, Tonga, you name it. Guys, this is a community to, again, 
be able to communicate with others from different cultures, different walks of life. So thank you so much for tuning into this. And as always, this is your host, Arsenio. Over and out.